This episode of The Code is brought to you by MoveMate, the award-winning active standing board that makes the perfect companion to your computer workstation. This is Dr. Andrew Fix, physical therapist and host of The Code. I can't recommend this product enough. Since I started using it, I notice I'm more focused during meetings, less uncomfortable while working on the computer, and simply more productive. Not to mention, the small activity you get while using it is great for your body and sure beats sitting in a chair the whole day. Do yourself a favor and order yours today. Visit www.letsmovemate.com slash Dr. Andrew Fix. While you're there, use promo code DRA15 to take 15% off the price. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back for another episode. Here on the code, uh, so excited to have you guys with us, and excited to be bringing another awesome interview interview to you guys. Again, like I always say, we appreciate your time tuning into this episode, whether it's the first one you've listened to or you've listened to dozens of other ones. Uh, thank you for being here and tuning into us. So today, like I said, we've got an interview lined up. Uh, we're speaking with Allie Beckman. She is a financial advisor, you guys, and she specifically um, specializes in working with creative and service based entrepreneurs in a very mission-driven kind of way. So to kick it off a little bit, I'll just tell you guys, I spoke with Allie one time. We got connected through, uh, you know, through social media, through LinkedIn. And um, we had one conversation and I just knew we had to have another one. We had to have her on the show to talk about financial health, financial wellness, and how that impacts like our life and what we're able to do and how we're able to do it and make an impact. So Allie, thanks for, uh, for joining us and being on the code. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, um, what I would love to do, Allie, is just have you give us a little bit more thorough of a background and introduction of yourself. Like, how did you get into what you're doing? Where are you from? And um, <laughs> just sort of introduce yourself to uh, to all the listeners. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a winding story, but I'll uh, hopefully make it interesting and not too long. I Financial planning and advising is my third career and came to it through way of being a theater artist for 15 years and a yoga and meditation instructor and business owner for five years as well. Those theater and yoga are my heart. It's where my heart still belongs. I still am a performing artist. I've been practicing yoga for 14 years. That's not going away. Um, And the thing that ended up making me turn toward financial planning or really just career change was during COVID. And as you talk about the link between our health and our wealth, like it never became more clear to me during the beginning of COVID. I All of my industries were shut down. Um, fortunately, my yoga business, I was able to take online, but I hit a wall during this early, late spring, early summer of, of 2020 when I had this moment of of panic, just realizing that I was trying to rebrand and rework my corporate wellness business at the time and just couldn't access my brain. 
You know, I literally like could see myself hitting a wall and unable to access my creative thinking, my organizational strategic thinking, things that are my innate strengths. And then that accelerated the panic (laughs) of just realizing like something is really off here. And so that then catalyzed me. And then the space of COVID and in conjunction with that really catalyzed me to pull back and assess what was and wasn't working in my life. And at the root of all of the things that were not working, I was able to deduce was financial insecurity. I never... The the irony is I excelled at math as a student and have always been really tightly aware of my own bookkeeping and numbers as a self-employed artist for 15 years. I never had a steady salary. And so tracking my money was never a problem, but I was never taught anything beyond how to save in the most basic of ways. And so, and I've never been driven by making money. I've never been motivated by money. For me, it's always been mission and impact and art and, you know, people. (laughs) And so uh, once I realized that so much of my other stressors were related to not prioritizing my own financial security, I realized like, okay, that's where we need to start creating solutions. So I looked to make a career change, did not plan on going into finance, but it ended up finding me through my network and, uh, you know, someone who had been working, I started on the insurance side of the industry, had a friend at New York life who had been there for 15 years and saw something in me that he thought would fit there. And so, you know, I, it was like totally out of the blue for me, just coming from a pretty non-traditional life, going into a very traditional sector. But honestly, once I evaluated the opportunity and did my due diligence talking to people, I realized it made a lot of sense for me because I do have a very split brain between the right and the left side. I have mm-hmm. an analytical strategic side of the brain, and then I have the creative social emotional relationship side of the brain. And I'm like, man, finance finance seems like a great place to exercise both of those sides of myself. And as far as my mission goes, regardless of my industry, I'm, I've always been passionate about education, using education to empower more people and make an impact. And so again, I'm like, man, that still really fits in line in finance. I mean, the, the opportunity to make a real impact in people's lives that has tangible, deep meaning is so ripe. So uh, I saw that opportunity and having been an entrepreneur my whole life, I liked the possibility of continuing to stay my own boss. And honestly, I said the worst, worst thing that could happen is I try it. I learn a bunch of stuff. And if it doesn't work out, I'll go do something else. But after my first year at New York life, I won the rookie of the year award for the state of Colorado uh, and realized... I had something going for me um, and then ended up uh, on my journey of independence. So I I found a different firm and was with them for a little bit. And and now uh, I've broken away and and am going fully independent. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the long short of how I got here today. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I kind of like it because I think um, I was actually having this conversation with a client earlier today about some of the positive things, and I think there's a lot of them, but um, that have come out of the fact that we all went through COVID, right? Like we all went through this pandemic and a lot of people's worlds got turned upside down, whether that be financially or mentally or spiritually or like whatever L-Y word you want to use. 
um, there were a lot of good things that came out of it too. And one of them is I think a lot of people were forced to or learned to pivot into something else, right? Whether that's a different yeah. career path or a different relationship or a different living environment or whatever that might be. And, uh, and you're one of those people. And um, yeah. it was interesting because, you know, I think it's cool that you work or you try to specialize in working with the type of people that you do, entrepreneurs or people that are in service-based industries or people that are in like the creative art space, because a lot of times those are the people who like finance isn't like the thing that they're thinking about. Right. Exactly. And I think that, I think that happens in our profession too, on the medical side from being a physical therapist, every young person that I've ever spoke with. And I asked them, why do you want to go to physical therapy school? The answer is almost always because I want to help people. Mm -hmm. And, um, as you know, uh, you could be in a lot of different vocations and you can help people in a lot of different ways. Realtors help people find homes that they make memories in and you help people afford those things and structure a plan to support their family. And we help people be able to use their body the way that they want to use it. So like those people who just want to invest in other people, Mm. usually finances aren't the main motivator to why they got into the career path that they did. But at the end of the day, we know we all have bills. We all have things that we need to afford, whether it's cost yeah. of living or it's putting fuel in your car, or like whatever it is, uh, you have to have a margin to drive your mission forward. So right. um, if there's no margin, there's no mission and businesses don't stay stay afloat and um, you can't keep the lights on. So no, I think it's great. Um, how did, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I was curious when you were saying, you know, you boiled down some of the challenges to this route of like, I mean, insecurity around the finances. What, what types of things were you noticing that like you were feeling about the finances that you were noticing? Like, wow, I'm, I have like a money mindset or a, a financial insecurity that I'm becoming aware of in case other people might be feeling the same thing. Like mm-hmm. what types of things did you start to notice about yourself or about clients that you work with um, kind of around that conversation? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, I... I money has always been a hurdle for me because again, it was, I mean, frankly, a lot of it stemmed from my own self-worth issues Mm -hmm. that stem back a long way. Um, I, I got serious about investigating my money mindset in 2019, um, like early 2019. So far before the pandemic, but I think because I had been doing some of that work, maybe I was primed to recognize it, but the way that that scarcity or lack mindset showed up for me, it narrowed my perspective. It made, it was harder for me to see broadly and far, right? Mm -hmm. Like if someone asked me what my life would look like in a year, no way I could have answered. Like I couldn't see past, I didn't have the security to think long-term. And so I couldn't plan, right? It was all driven more by survival and like needing to make it work next week. How am I making money Mm -hmm. next week? I was classically the person who always had like multiple jobs, you know, like running around everywhere. So that was one, like my perspective got really narrow. For my own personality, I I have a strong streak of type A (laughs) that conflicts with my free spirit. Um, So they're constantly at war with each other. But honestly, I think 
when I get into that mindset, I know even still, if I can slip back into that place, I become more, it's similar to the perspective answer, but it just like, I become more critical of like things around me. It's right. It's the hypervigilance of that survival mm-hmm. mode. I've studied yeah. trauma for many, many years, and it's a similar state of response, right? It's like, we're living in that survival state. So again, I just can't see as clearly <laughs> and I'm more, more likely to focus on what's wrong and what I don't have all the things I don't have that I want. And then that's a spiral. And that would extend to, I noticed it impacting my relationships, right? And then that starts to interfere with my ability to truly be open and receptive in a relationship, which then that starts getting reflected back in certain ways from the other person because they're not getting from Mm -hmm. me what they want and need. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. I'll, you know, my sense of humor goes down like, yeah. <laughs> things get more literal. So I think it all kind of comes back to that. Like it, it impacts my, my perspective. Um, and fortunately I have 14 years of, you know, daily meditation under my belt. So I'm developed in the muscle of metacognition and that self-awareness to recognize when that stuff is happening. And yeah, I think, yeah, if anyone listening is starting to experience those stressors, do that root cause analysis to just, you know, figure out like, where is that, where is it really coming from? Um, And identifying (laughs) how it manifests is a great tool to then stay on top of it. If it, you know, we're all going to have ebbs and flows in life. We're never going to be always our ideal self. But I think when we can notice when those like uh, triggers get, get tripped then we can start to take action then to soothe or solve um, whatever might be going on. Yeah. And I think I like that you use the word triggers because there's almost always one for, for most people, if not everybody. Um, And I think we all, if we wanted to try and like picture somebody, we all know somebody that like, no matter what might be going on, they're always pointing out what's going wrong, what's going wrong, no matter how good other things could be going, whether it's, in a relationship, right. like you said, they're always pointing out the things that are wrong with their partner or their friend yeah. to other people. Or, you know, no matter if uh, maybe traffic was flowing really good the majority of the month, but they had one bad day, that's right. the one that they're going to talk about instead of all the other 29 good days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that's true, I know this is true for me, and I've I've had to kind of um, grow through some of these money mindset things as well, is unfortunately maybe until you get like into the um, collegiate level, there's like virtually no financial education in our school system, right? And most people, how they learned about finances are from their parents and and how they were raised and whatnot. And if your parents were the, of the mindset of like, save, 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 you know, we got to save for a rainy day. We can't do this. We can't do that because what if something were to happen? Right. Well, then that's the mindset that you start to adopt. And, um, that's kind of what I've noticed was true of, of myself and kind of, of of my wife as well, is we both kind of grew up in families where that was the approach. Like yeah. we're living paycheck to paycheck. We have the things that we need, but we don't always have the things that we want. And the mindset is we don't have the money to afford the things that we want because we have to save for these just in case problems. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, our parents had gone through some of the financial depression times where they lost money in their savings and in um, mm-hmm. their um, the stock market and everything like that. So then they were concerned that what if this happens again? What are we going to have? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until, you know, I got out of school, 
got working and then really made the switch from the traditional physical therapy office that is very like insurance-based healthcare system mm-hmm. to the side of the, I guess I'll say, healthcare and wellness landscape that we're on now. I, I don't like I don't even want to say we're part of the healthcare system because I find, kind of feel like we're sort of removed from the traditional healthcare system and like playing a separate game where we're more in this like fee for service model where mm-hmm. people know the quality that they're going to receive at a different physical therapy office. They choose to come pay maybe a little bit more per visit to come see us. And now we are having conversations about the value of things and what what are you paying for mm-hmm. where you don't really have to do that. In, in most medical offices, the providers are having zero conversations about finances and they don't know how the billing works. They don't know how the insurance company works. And they're not the ones having those conversations with clients, but now we are. And, and I think it is, uh, you know, it's so eye-opening and brings to light some of the um, hidden or buried feelings that you have about money uh, when you actually finally have to start talking about it and you never did. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know how you come across sometimes to people because you didn't have to have that conversation before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a big reason of, why I do what I do because like I've lived through the lack of education, not knowing where mm-hmm. to get education, not feeling like I deserved financial advice because I wasn't making a lot of money. Um, and like, you're right. Where do we get it? I will say I've been a part of a big initiative to start putting financial literacy in schools. I developed very comprehensive curriculum with Intuit that's going to reach about 5 million high schoolers across the country. So awesome. you do know there, yeah, there's stuff that's going on, but um, it's far from where it needs to be. Um, but on the, on the tail end of what you were saying, like having to have that conversation because you've never had to have it before. Um, I, I feel like I just had a conversation like that this morning with new clients. You know, I, I prioritize making space for the emotional conversation around money in my practice, because yeah. if we're honest, money is emotional. It is emotionally driven. Um, we have emotional baggage based on how we grew up or the house that we were living in our parents' relationship to money that, likely we've not investigated because often it's uncomfortable, it's Mm -hmm. overwhelming. And most of the time (laughs) I see people tending toward avoidance when it comes to really sitting down with money and finances. So from my perspective, and I know I'm biased because I come from a social emotional background, but in my perspective, if we're not addressing your financial, if you're, if we're not addressing your emotional relationship to money, then we're not going to be as optimal as we can be in the implementation of the tactical side of your plan, right? Sure. It's it's if we've got behavioral blocks that we're not addressing, it's going to impede the progress that you have on your actual plan or it's yeah. going to pre- potentially prevent you from really receiving and benefiting and enjoying the resources that you are building up and saving because you don't know how to have a healthy relationship to it, right? Or you're yep. going to spend down everything that you save um, so for me, I have a, a large focus on the emotional component of money in the practice, um, because to me, it underlies everything. And if we can, again, it's, it's root cause analysis. If we can really get to the root of what's going on, it's going to just hit one. It creates more buy-in from my clients because we're actually getting to the root of the problem. And then it actually, it helps them make more progress, which then they yeah. see. And again, it like helps change some of that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons we connect well is like, 
we'd want to get down to the root of the problem, right? Because <laughs> you can't, mm-hmm. you can't, whether we're talking about finances or whether we're talking about yeah. uh, physical therapy, you can't keep slapping treatments at symptoms right. and expect the, re- the real root of the issue to change. You can't right. keep making more money if you don't address the issues that are present because more money is not going to solve the problems. Right. Um, right. So, you know, with that in mind, uh, and, you know, the, connection you have to the social emotional side of the brain from all the background that you have. I'm curious, what are some of like the most common questions or concerns that you feel from clients when you start working with them um, that you end up like talking to them about the most? Like what are some of the most common questions you get from from the folks you end up working with? Will I ever retire? And when Mm -hmm. can I retire? Basically, because a lot of times there is no plan. They're just kind of hoping and praying and wishing that it's going to work out regardless. And I find this across levels of income and success. I have very successful attorneys, um, tech CEOs. They also don't know if and when they can retire compared to someone who's maybe a closer to a starving artist or a startup business. Um, They're just getting started building their wealth. They also don't know. So it's interesting to see that that is true across the spectrum of wealth. So will I ever retire and when is a big question. The second most common question is I ju- how do I make smart choices with my money? Which means something a little different for everybody, but oftentimes I find that they're talking about investing uh, and taxes and just wanting to be efficient is what I find that typically means for people. A lot of times I'll find people um, who if they say I know my money is not working for me, it usually means they've got a a chunk of money, if not all sitting in cash in their investment portfolios. <laughs> um, yeah. So a lot of times it comes down to, but it's often framed by that. I just want to make smart choices with my money. That oftentimes also usually means like having an actual savings plan, a savings and contribution mm-hmm. plan. They want help figuring out where their dollars should be going. And that often then leads into another question. I get a lot of questions around spending plans budgeting, Mm. cash flow. Um, I find that a lot of advisors don't talk about this. And again, I'm like, this is a missed opportunity because it's underlying a lot of the work we're going to do. Yes, there's one side of the spectrum where we're doing goal-based planning, where it's like, if these are your goals, this is what you're going to have to do to reach those goals. But then we have Mm. to compare it with reality and be like, does your current cash flow support this? Or are we going to have to find a negotiation somewhere? Um, so that a lot of people need help figuring out like, how much am I spending? Where are my dollars going? I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners who they're earning 250, 500,000 in revenue sometimes, but they're not, they're still living paycheck to paycheck. They're not taking home enough. And it's like, well, we got to figure out like, where's, where are your money? Where's your money going? (laughs) Yeah. So I get a lot of questions around spending plans as well. People also just want efficiency with taxes. Um, yeah. A lot of times people confuse what I do with what an accountant might do. So sure. I'll oftentimes yep. have to point them in that direction. Obviously, there's crossover, but um, still separate services. So those are oftentimes the biggest questions. Yeah. But then another question is like, what's next? Like, how do I... A lot of my clients are in the accumulation phase. They're building their wealth. Um, yeah. And they're like okay, you know, I'm making good money. I've figured some stuff out, but like, how do I actually build wealth in a way that feels sustainable in a way that's aligned with my values in a way that 
um, is actually going to get me to my goals, help me to retire. So a lot of times I attract people who are more heart-centered, they're values-based, mission-driven. I have such a big emphasis on values-based planning in my process. Like that's the anchor of everything we do is, is your values. Um, and to your earlier point, it helps give meaning to the money, right? Where it's like, what, yeah. we, what, what is this all What's for? It for? Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. not just the money. It's we're helping you live a life that feels uniquely yours and the best your life is. And so a lot of people desire that alignment of their values and money, and they don't really mm-hmm. know where to begin, or they don't have the time to figure it out on their own, or they don't want to, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think those are, those are some of the most common questions I get. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I'm not surprised to hear you say some of those, um, cause honestly, and, um, vulnerably like budgeting is not something that I have really ever done a whole lot of, nor do I enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have a good savings plan and, yeah. um, have buckets set up of like where the money's going and that it's going there first before some of the other spending takes place. But mm-hmm. man, I don't enjoy sitting down, putting a budget together and seeing like what yeah. the money in money out looks like. What are, well, and let me, let me say one that I, that I hear a lot sometimes from people because I wish, and this kind of goes back to the way you were raised and stuff and like the avoidance of having conversations about money. I wish that I had started working with somebody like yourself at an earlier age. I started working with the first financial advisor, I think, that I began working with when I was, oh man, what was I, 26 maybe? Um, somewhere in that range. Uh, I had graduated from PT school, had moved down from Wisconsin to the Atlanta, Georgia area. And then got connected with somebody, um, I think it was through like Mass Mutual maybe. And um, they too were somebody that like sort of specialized in working with like healthcare providers. And mm-hmm. um, we set up some life insurance and retirement savings things that were like outside of the uh, the place I was employed. Like they had, you know, their own policies and 401k and stuff, but we'd set up some additional things. Well, then I moved and I relocated. And um, for no other reason, really, than like working with somebody that I already knew and already trusted on a personal level, I switched to working with a different individual that was closer to where I where I could actually like meet with them in person because I had mm-hmm. relocated back up to the Midwest. And um, and that's the person I've continued to work with now, although he's moved from like one firm to another firm to another firm. Mm-hmm. And um, he and I continue to to put plans in place. But one of the things I hear a lot of times because I've talked to whether it's coworkers or whether it's friends or siblings. And who are younger than me and say, you should be doing this now. Like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't. And I hear, well, I'll start to save or I'll work with an advisor when I have enough money to do so. And I hear that all the time and I'm no financial advisor, but what I do know is how interest works. And like, I know the sooner you start doing these things, the better off you're going to be later down the road. So I'm sure you get that objection sometimes of, I just don't have the money to be able to work with you. So how do you handle that conversation? Because we both know that like, that's not going to solve the problem. Um, So like, how do we handle that scenario? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's, it's kind of a nuanced answer, right? Because I wish I had gotten started investing 10 years sooner than I did. I didn't know though, you know, Um, it's you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, the Chinese proverb fits so fittingly in this business that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second Mm -hmm. best time is today, right? Like we wish we all would have started 20 years ago, but we didn't. So let's get started today. 
So when I get that objection, because I'll also get it's either I don't have the money to do it right now or I'll work with you when my life settles down. I'm like, mm, yeah, sure. We, we get that. We get <laughs> Let that me too. know when that happens. Yeah. We get that too. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the thing, though. It's like it, one, that's never going to happen. It's never going to be the perfect time. And two, having an advisor and a plan is going to help you navigate those life changes smoother and easier as far as like not having the money. So I've set up my practice. I also, and one of the reasons I resonate with your practice is I also largely operate on a fee, a fee for advice model. So I, the bulk of my business comes from flat fee clients where they're paying me Mm -hmm. a flat quarterly fee just out of their cash flow every quarter. Um, that's not tied to their assets or income or anything like that. So it keeps everything super transparent. So I will have the conversation early on. Um, I also have to make sure that it does fit in their budget because, you know, they have to be able to afford that cash flow. And I try and do my best to be honest about like, this may not make sense for you right now. I've tried to offer some different uh, nets to catch people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To offer that to people. And eventually I would like to get my practice to a place where I've got people who are willing to be sponsors so that I can take on people who don't have the money, but I can tell have the spirit and are ready to begin. Um, because like the one thing I cannot do for you is make, I cannot make you more money just from an income perspective, right? Like (laughs) there's only so much I can do there. I can guide you. So sometimes I can't solve that objection, but a lot of times part of the way that I've solved the problem is eliminating any kind of asset minimum and working on the flat fee so that I can work with people before they've developed a level of assets that some advisors may have a minimum for, you know? So I work with people who they're running a million dollar business plus, but they still have a negative net worth, you know? And so it's like those people... I I have the model to take those people in and start to build their net worth back up. They have the cash flow, they have the revenue to support it. On the flip side though, too, I still have the flexibility to work, manage assets, charge a fee, operate a little bit more traditionally in case that's an easier model for people. Let's say they have a hefty IRA that they can transfer over to me. I can charge a percentage of that and we can do some work that way as well. So I'm trying to create a practice that has the flexibility to meet people where they are based on where they're coming to me from while still, of course, building my practice in a way that's scalable and sustainable and profitable for myself. But I I think it's, you know, I've been working in the trauma informed sphere for so long that like choice is so important to me, giving people choice and helping them. It's informing them like how to make the best choice. Um, so that's a long winding way of saying like, sometimes it's a legitimate objection and it makes sense to come back later. Like people Mm -hmm. have to be ready. You know, you got to be ready to dive into the process. I'm going to ask things of you. I'm going to ask you to show up. You got to like do the things I'm telling you to do. And so I try and make it in my own sales cycle and process to figure out if they're really ready to start. And then if I can tell that they are, but there's maybe some (laughs) less legitimate excuses going on, try and help them see like, truly the cost of waiting is exponential. The older we get year over year because of the interest. Again, I had that conversation earlier today. I'm like the sheer factor of time 
is the most important factor when it comes to the ease and success of your investments. Not only does it set you up for more success, it just makes everything easier. The risk yeah. is so much lower the totally. earlier you start. Um, and again, I, you know, sometimes people will slip into the, well, I'm 45 and I'm so behind and there's somewhat of a defeatist attitude there. Sure. Yeah. But I'm like, Hey, like, again, do you want to start at all? Like, or do you want to wait another 20 years and then have even less options at your fingertips, you know? So it's kind of just helping people frame that. I learned that we have a harder time as humans empathizing with our future self than we do a complete stranger. Mm. And so I view my job as a future self advocate. It's like my job is to help you take care of that future self. Cause I know you are not connected to it. It's easy to like push that self off. And so it's, that's part of the objection to overcome. It's like, how do I, how do I help you care about that future self (laughs) and realize that there's a cost to waiting. And sometimes people, you know, they, they can't afford not to begin, even if it might be tight on the budget at first. It's like, if I'm doing my job, we should be freeing up money, organizing it, helping you get on a plan to build your wealth, increase it over time, you know, hopefully save you some money and other aspects. So, you know, there should be a return on the services that I'm providing for you. Um, yeah. And at the same time, like if people aren't willing to see the value in that after however many conversations, then I probably won't be the one to change their mind. Yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, we see the same thing in uh, in our practice, as I, I know do a lot of other medical providers or personal trainers or whoever. Um, one, we can't do it for anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't fix or no one other team member on our team at physio. Like we don't fix people's back pain. Right. right. They fix their back pain. We help right. guide them in that direction. We help educate them, give them tools. And we we help we do treatment with them. But like, it's not our journey. It's not our thing that we're fixing. It's theirs. Okay. So um, and we know we can't work with every individual. Our schedules only hold so many slots. Like we can only see so many people. We'll continue to add good providers to our team as we're able to do that. But sometimes you know, the um, number of objections that people have when we're speaking with them on the phone or out at an event or something is like, now is just not a good time. Or maybe Mm -hmm. there's a financial objection, right? And, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to say that it's a financial objection. They say something else. I need to talk to my spouse or it's just not the right time. Mm -hmm. But just like you said, well, when is the right time to address this back pain that you've been dealing with for, you know, several years? If it's not five years ago, today is the next best time that you can start addressing that. Because yeah. it's only going to get harder to address the longer we wait to do that. Exactly. And it's only going to cost more money from our perspective, the longer that you wait. The sooner we can start working with someone, the less expensive their treatment's going to be, the more they're going to be able to do the things that they want to do, the more fulfilling their life will be. Mm-hmm. And it saves them money. It saves us and them headaches because <laughs> it's easier to work with people when we get them in sooner. Um, we have an easier time getting them to feel how they want to feel so they can do their thing. So, um, yeah, so I totally get that from, from both sides. Um, so when you do have a conversation with somebody who, whether they're ready to start working with you or not, you know, what are some of like the resources or things that you recommend to them? Like, do you recommend books to people or a financial podcast or like, are, do you, are there things that you find that you're recommending to people 
to help them start to become a little bit more um, like financially astute to like put the pieces into practice to learn more about these things that they're uneducated on, on the financial side so that they can start really implementing these things? Yeah, good question. Um, It totally depends. I think part of the value that I do bring as an advisor is I'm like resource heavy and connection heavy, right? Like I... Mm -hmm. I'm a relational networking person. So I've I've built my business on relations and strategic partnerships and resources. Like I want to vet any resource that my clients might need and then give them two or three choices. Like when they need a CPA, great. I've got a few choices that I have personally vetted and recommend. You choose which one you like the best. Um, Estate attorneys, business advisors, you know, you name it. Uh, mortgage lenders, real estate agents. I try and have like so many professional resources at my fingertips so that I can just save them time. Mm -hmm. As far as other resources goes, it just depends. It depends on if they're that type of person who wants extra resources and is going to dig in on their own. I I attract a lot of DIYers because I do the flat fee model and it lets them like stay in control. So for those people or the people who love learning, um, there's one of my favorite podcasts. She's a personal finance expert. It's called So Money, hosted by Farnoosh Torabi. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Um, I also, I, I mean, tons of books. And it just depends, again, on kind of like, where are you falling and what might you need? Mindset-wise, I love Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass at Making Money. It's a mm-hmm. great book. Barry Tesler, who's actually a Colorado person. She lives in Boulder. She's got a book called The Art of Money that has like so many tools and tips inside of it, um, ranging from, you know, mindset, emotional to some more tactical implementation stuff. I really loved the psychology of money. Um, Morgan Housel, I believe, wrote that. That was such an enjoyable read. I'll probably read it again. There's also like classic investing books, The Simple Path to Wealth, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. Um, what else? Like, what do I have? I figured the you had a list. The Intelligent Investor. I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Um, I mean, so many. And yet, I also find like, right, it depends. They're either like one of two camps, like pretty hardcore DIY, or they're like, part of the reason they are hiring me is they're like, I just exactly. don't. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to yeah, deal with the extra stuff. Like, please just yeah. organize my stuff for me and tell exactly. me what to do. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's the difference between DIY and DFY. Like, is it do it yourself or is it done for you? Type exactly. Of, uh, type of, yeah. I mean, it's the same reason, right? Somebody would hire, hire a travel advisor for a complicated trip that you're trying to take. It's like, yeah, I don't want to deal with all these logistics and figure all this out. I'd like to hire a professional to help me do this. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I, and I realized that, you know, like I, I was only flat fee for a while and I wasn't doing asset management. Um, cause like there's, it's so easy to do it on your own these days and there's so many resources and it doesn't, sure. the majority of people can get away without a complicated, sophisticated investment strategy, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you're building wealth, it changes a little bit when you're ready to like start taking distributions, but for the majority of us, it's it doesn't have to be super complex. And so for me, I'm like, if you can and want to manage your own money, go for it. And I will be here as a second set of eyes and an expert mm-hmm. to help you and advise you. But then I realized 
that there's a lot of people, especially like along that creative and entrepreneurial type where it's like, if they, if I'm not doing it for them, they won't. Right. <laughs> so right. I wanted to create, like I said, more flexibility and choice in my practice to still be able to meet people where they are, but not box people into, um, one way of working. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Now I know, uh, Allie, that we're like a little short on time, but I wanted to ask you one more question before we wrap this up, because, you know, we kind of went off on a couple tangents and to the people that are listening to the show, like around the topic of finances or allowing your money to be a tool for you to be able to do the mission and the value-based stuff and work that you want to be able to do. Like before we wrap this up, just like what are one or two more things that you would tell people who have like, you know, a strong set of values, but might be sort of struggling on the financial side of things and figuring out how can I bring my, my dreams or my vision uh, to light? I don't, I don't know what to do. Cause I think, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they choose to do nothing because they don't know what to do. And there's a lot of options out there and they, they just don't know. So then they do nothing. So like, before we wrap up, if you could just, you know, tell the people that are listening to this one or two more things of like, recommendations you have or thoughts that you have that they might be feeling, what what would those things be? Yeah. I mean, that is, I'd say that's why I have a job. It's hard to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, outsource it if you can. But to start, I would say when you want to start aligning your money with your values and pointing in the direction of your goals, the first thing I would recommend you do is print off the last uh, spending statements. So print off your last, most recent credit card statements, bank statements, anywhere, any account where you spend money. And then, uh, also get clear on your values, do a values exercise. You can find them on the internet. Um, I, you know, find a way to clarify your own values, maybe narrow it down to five and then go through your spending statements line by line and look at it from the perspective of your values. If someone, I love to ask the question to people, if you were to die tomorrow and someone took a look at your bank statements, would they know what is important to you? Ooh, like usually, that. usually stops people in their tracks and they're like, oh no. <laughs> so I'm yeah. like, go do it, do it yourself. Take a look at your spending, look at it from the lens of your values. And that's a great place to start aligning your money with your values. You know, um, where is your money actually going? And is it reflective of what actually matters to you? Um, so that's one place I would start. The second place I would say is make specific goals. A lot of times people will have a vague sense of goals or they don't know how to set goals. Make, you know, the classic smart goals, make them specific and measurable, attainable. Yeah. Um, so really the bottom line when it comes to financial goals is you want to figure out, uh, one, what the goal is, and you can compartmentalize it by short term, which would be maybe in the next one to two years, midterm, two to five years, long-term five plus 10 plus years, and then clarify how much money you're going to need. How much money am I going to need exactly to buy that house? How much money am I going to need to buy a trailer? Um, and then set a date set a timeline that you want to achieve that goal by make down a few notes of why this is important to you. And like, just write down some specifics, like get yourself excited about the goal. Um, and then start organizing it so that you actually have clarity on exactly how much money you need to think about generating and saving, 
through either savings or investments, and then lay out a, a, a reasonable time frame that you think you might be able to accomplish those things with your current cash flow. And sometimes you realize the goals are too big. Sometimes yeah. you realize they're really not that big at all and they're quite attainable. And that's usually where I find people where it's like, this actually is rather attainable. Um, so I'd say just start getting specific and mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask for help whenever you run into roadblocks, whether it's like with an advisor or the million resources there are on the internet. <laughs> these <Totally. days. laughs> Man, I thought, I thought that was great. Uh, that question is so impactful like if someone were to look at your spending would they know what's important to you i know um <laughs> because i think a lot of times we we don't even know like where is our money going is it yeah is it, you know if somebody we like to ask those same questions to our clients when you know they're dealing with say knee pain or something and maybe they're a runner and it's like okay well we know you want to address your knee pain that's why you're here but but why? Like, why? Mm. Why do you want your knee to feel better? Oh, because I love to run. I want to be able to run X, Y, and Z. Well, why? Why is running so important to you? Mm. Like, what about running makes it important? And when we can really get down to those things and peel back those onion layers to figure out the reason behind the thing, they are so much more motivated to yes. take, like, take a handle on it and to um, take accountability towards like addressing it right and stick yeah. to the plan yeah. instead of it just like you said being some vague thing that i hope to do this someday maybe i'll get there um the likelihood that you're going to get there is probably not very good right because then you also just think like oh i just need to make a bunch of money and it's like well no let's actually set some goals how much money do you actually need and it's all about reverse engineering you know how much yeah, money do you backwards. need and then mm -hmm. let's figure out how to make that happen yeah. Um, and it just, like you said, it, it motivates people. It ascribes meaning to money that is otherwise neutral. Like money is just a neutral tool until we mm -hmm. ascribe meaning to it. And so when sure. we can align it with our values, it just makes every, it makes decision-making easier. It makes, it just makes everything easier, clearer. Um, and yeah, like you said, more meaningful. Yeah, no, I love this. And for you guys that are listening, man, if you need somebody to be a resource for you on the financial side of things. I think Allie would be a great recommendation for me. Um, on that uh, note, if somebody does want to reach out to you, Allie, to you know connect with you, get in touch, ask some questions, um, or potentially want to work with you after listening to this episode, what's the best way for them to do that, to get in touch with you? Yeah, for sure. A few ways. Uh, you can go to my website, Beckman Financial. Beckman is spelled B-E-C-K-M-A-N-N. And then the word financial.com. Um, that's a good way. There's all sorts of buttons that'll take you either to a contact form or directly to my calendar. You can schedule a free call with me. Um, so the website is a good way. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn. I post a bunch of stuff. So you can follow me there, Allie Beckman. And then uh, you can also feel free to email me as well. I'll respond to you. It's a, it'll come directly to me. And that's just Allie, A-L-L-I-E at BeckmanFinancial.com. Awesome. And we'll put those things, the website, the LinkedIn and the email contact in the show notes for the show for you guys. Allie, really appreciate your time this afternoon. And in case you guys didn't know, I don't think she said it or I said it, but Allie is also here local to the Denver, Colorado area. So um, if you are living here and you want to work with somebody local uh, there, we've got that box checked for you. But <laughs> thanks again for joining us. And um, I just really appreciate your time having this conversation. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. This was such an enjoyable conversation, really refreshing, um, so much alignment here and hopefully your listeners got some value out of it. I am so grateful for the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks guys. And again, to all of you who tune in to listen to this episode of The Code, as you know, we appreciate it. And um, if you've not done so already, you've probably heard me say on another episode, we are hoping to increase our reviews on this podcast to get up to 200 five-star reviews, whatever platform that you chose to use to listen to this so that we can get it out in front of more people to help them uh, hear the conversations that we're having with our awesome interview guests and, um, and just find us on the code. So if you haven't done that, please go do so. And we'll catch you guys next time on another episode of The Code.